Welcome to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics, where the conversation always gives you a foundation that is built on biblical principles, so you can intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, and the reality we live in, and history. Host Joe Gaona covers topics like apologetics, worldviews, contemporary culture, and the Word of God to help you articulate a defense for how you live your Christian life. See how you can get involved in support Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics by visiting ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com That's ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com Joe, where is that magnifying glass? How you doing today? This is Joe with 1530 Apologetics with throughout all ages and we're here to look at worldviews and see if it makes sense in the world that we live in we will be looking through history science philosophy archaeology and we want to weigh it on a scale and see if you're found wanting on your worldview if you see the scale going down then you know it's time to jump off that scale and get onto the scale that's rising to the top we will intellectually think about arguments And for today, we are going to talk about mythology gods around the world. You know, the mythology gods have been around since the dawn of men. And I believe the reason for this is because men have been searching for something other. When you resist the one who created you and made you, it's there that you begin to run other ways and you try to form other gods and other deities that you might follow. And we see this happening, and we'll talk more about this as we go along. So as we talk about the mythology gods, I want to start off talking about Osiris, right? Because this is one of the main uh, mythology gods that people like to bring up, especially in the college campus, to the student. Osiris is this Egyptian lord, the Egyptian deity or god, and his name means powerful and mighty. Now, the Egyptians believed in gods. They worshipped him. Death and the burial mattered extremely to the Egyptians. The elaborate protocols that took place when a pharaoh died, they would mummify them and bury them, or deep, burying them were d- deeply significant for the Egyptians. It was this afterlife, after death, the pharaoh would become this divine deity, and they definitely believed in the afterlife. When we talk about Osiris, he had a family, and he ends up marrying his sister, Isis. Can you believe that? This is always happening with mythology gods. And um, how many of you heard of Osiris? Most of us had. If we haven't heard of Osiris or Isis, his wife, his sister, we've all heard of Horus, right? Horus was the falcon uh, in Hollywood today when people put up that, that, that twinkle, that one eye symbol, and they put up the six, you know, they say it's the 666, the okay sign. Uh, that was a symbol of uh, Horus, so we're all familiar with that. And then so as we look at this story, we need to see what happens. 
Now, Osiris had a brother named Set or Seth, and Seth was married to his sister, Nephethus. And Nephethus and Seth, his wife, um, he, had, he had told her to disguise herself as Isis and seduce Osiris. Now, Seth was very jealous of Osiris, very jealous of him. And so one day he made a plan, and he made this plan up that he would make throw this huge party, make this huge grand party. Now, Osiris, the Egyptian god, had a dispute with his brother, Seth. And Seth had a, a beautiful, elaborate uh, coffin made, and he made it just perfect for, the, for Osiris to fit. It was the exact height. And then he threw this party, invited all the deities in. He invited all the gods in. And he presented that coffin. And he told the guests that whichever of them would fit in it most perfectly could have it as a gift. So Osiris saw the coffin and how extravagant and detailed it looked. And when Osiris laid down in the coffin, we're told in this mythology story that Seth slams the lid shut and fastens it. He grabs the coffin and he throws it into the Nile River where it was carried away downriver. Now, about this time, Isis, his wife, uh, finds the coffin. He, she hears of what's going on and she goes looking for the coffin. And she finds the coffin and wants to hide it from Seth. And so she buries this coffin in the swamps, in the Nile River, against the reeds. Now Isis takes off to get some potion. And remember, we are talking about deities here. So the story goes on that Seth finds the coffin, takes Osiris out, and Seth just begins to cut him up. He cuts him up in 14 pieces and he throws them all in the Nile River. And we are told that Osiris's wife finally gets back and she's looking for all the pieces. And she finally finds 13 of the 14 pieces of Osiris. So she covered all the body parts. Uh, she recovered all the body parts, should I say, except for the phyllis, the phallus. Now, the phallus was the, rip, uh, the reproductive organ of Osiris, which had been thrown in the Nile. Remember, she found all 13 pieces, but the only piece she didn't find is the phallus, this, this reproductive organ. And so she makes one out of gold, and she puts some potion, just enough potion on Osiris to, to wake him up, and then she ends up getting impregnated by Osiris. And we get this from the philosopher historian Plutarch. He has an account that says Isis used her magic powers to resurrect Osiris and fashions a phallus to conceive her son. And this is the story of how we get Horus, the falcon, the, the deity god Horus that we're always hearing about in Hollywood. Now, Osiris... He dies and he comes to life in the underworld. Uh, here he becomes the Lord and the judge of the dead. And we hear these titles for him. He became Lord and judge of the dead, the Lord of the dead. The, they give him names like the resurrection and life, the God of the afterlife, the creator of the underworld. 
Um, although these titles were given to Osiris, I want you to see that he was the Lord of the dead. He was the Lord of the underworld. That's a big difference between Jesus. In Philippians 2.10, we read about Jesus, that Jesus just wasn't the Lord of the underworld, but that Jesus, every knee will bow to him, those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We also find in Colossians 1.16, For by Jesus all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, and he is before all things. And by Jesus all things consist or are held together. I bring up the mythology deities because they try to propagate to the Christian student that the story of Osiris is likened to Jesus and his historical account. Once again, when we begin to look at the details, we find there is no comparison to the mythology uh, deities that we have. We must understand every one of these mythology gods were created within this universe. Think about that. They were created, every story we've ever heard, they, these deities were created within this universe. If they were created within this universe, then who was outside of this universe? There's just one justifiable answer, and that is a maximum supreme being. It's the God of Christianity that has always declared he is outside of time space and matter and we have always said this for the last 3,000 years and we wrote it down on manuscripts so that you might be able to look back now everyone in those days believed in mythology gods right the Egyptians the Persians the Grecians up into the Roman Empire now even though the Roman uh, Empire was infused with all these deities the Romans begin to uh, look at things differently. They did not see it as emotionalism, as omens to meditate and get into a frenzy so that the gods would speak through you. We owe the gods, and this is what the Romans would say, we owe the gods who take care of us through the wars and the battles, who watched over us as a nation and an empire, and they did not worship the deity out of faith or emotionalism, or try to somehow uh, buy service to them. No, they wanted, to, uh, they wanted to give them the glory due to these gods of Rome so that they might bless them and find favor in them. The lesson often to be learned was that one must meet one's destiny with strength. This is what the Romans said. Determination and notability that these myths enabled an individual to stand against the ills and the hardships of an unforgiving universe. And of course, when we look at the Roman Empire, we begin to see a syncretism being used where they allowed other people to worship gods. And on the second half, we're going to continue talking about the mythology God that we have come to understand. This is Joe with 1530 apologetics and come back for the second part as we continue talking about the deities of old, the deities and mythology gods. 
Don't go away because there is much more to come with Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K-Praise. Throughout All Ages Ministry 1530 Apologetics goes into the public high school to build up the student's character to intellectually think about their worldview and weigh it with truth. Studies show 75 to 85 percent of all college students who grew up in a Christian home are walking away from their faith. For more information about 1530 Apologetics, go to throughoutallages.com. Join Creation Fellowship's and T's Apologetics Speaker Series Thursdays at 6.30 p.m. via Zoom. First Peter verse 3, chapter 15 says, To always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. Creation Fellowship's and T's brand name Apologetics Speakers will do just that. Equip you with the knowledge and tactics to explain your Christian faith. Get equipped Thursday nights at 6.30. Learn more on Facebook and YouTube at Creation Fellowship's and T or email creationfellowshipsantee at gmail.com. Welcome back to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. And now, here's your host, Joe Gaona on K-Praise. How you doing? Here we are in the second part of 1530 Apologetics, talking about mythology gods. We were talking about the Roman Empire. You know, the people of the primitive days believed in these gods, and, and so did the countries around them. But Rome was beginning to get educated, and they looked at it a little different. They, they honored the gods in order that the gods would bless their empire. And they believed in syncretism, which means to be able to let all the gods uh, come and, and, and that the people could worship who they wanted to worship. But let's not forget they also believed in henotheism, and that's the worship of a single God while not denying the existence, a possibility of existence of other deities. And so they would bring their gods there. And uh, when you brought your gods, they would put all these different gods, all these deities under one umbrella as a Roman empire. That you don't have to worship our gods, but you must throw incense and bow to our gods and to Caesar as king and lord. Now, these rituals played a, a central role for the Roman religion. Romans showed their respect and their reverence to the gods and their prayers and their offerings and even their festivals. But the Roman temples were not a place for group worship like the churches or the synagogues we see, but it was a place to store your gods that you would give sacrifices to them that they might bless your nation. And this is where the Christians got in trouble because when they had to pinch incense to the God, the emperor, uh, Caesar, that they would not do that because they believed in one God. And while an educated Rome dismissed emotionalism to gods, the monotheistic God was now coming to the forefront, dismissing all the other gods as futile, dead, and has no way to speak or listen. The Christian God brought forth an, a value to an individual that no matter how poor or cast down, no matter how rich the whole world will meet the one and the only God that does not sleep, or get weary, a personal God that is just, full of mercy, and powerful. And so we begin to look at their son Horus. 
some of the things that are saying out there in the world today, especially in the college campus, is that this Horus, this deity, he was called Horus the sky god and later to be known as the war god. So one of the things they say is that he had a virgin birth. Well, there is no mention of Isis initially fulfilling an omen or divine command to be a virgin. We know that when uh, uh, Isis had had Horus, it was in the swamps. It was in the Nile River. And so we don't see this fulfillment of, of omen or divine command that she had to be a virgin in order to have Horus. When we talk about Horus and we talk about the worship by three kings, well, well we know that wise men came to Jerusalem to meet Jesus But it never talks about three kings. It just talks about these kings came, these magis. Nor can we find any reference to three kings coming to Horus when when he was birthed or he was born. The other thing they say is that Horus was a, a young teacher of 12 years old that just like Jesus was 12 year old in the synagogue teaching the men. But Jesus was never called a teacher at 12 years old. He, they were astonished by his wisdom and his knowing, but he was never called a teacher or a master of any sort when he was 12 years old. So that's a false concept. The other thing they say with Horus is that he, uh, that he had 12 disciples. Well, we have no sources or followers, or should I say, we have no sources that uh, Horus had 12 disciples. We know he had followers. And these followers, the most that they mentioned that we see is four in the, in, the, in the sources. But we don't see him with 12 disciples. And so that's another thing. Now, Horus performed miracles and uh, like raising El Osiris from the dead and walking on water. So this is something that they say that Horus performed miracles like raising El Osiris and from the dead and walking on water. Well, as a deity, Horus did perform some miracles, but we know all deities perform some miracles here or there. Whatever it might be, it might just be one or two. It might be 10 or 12 of them that we heard about. But deities, that's what they they were there for, right? The mythology gods were there to perform miracles. Now, this is not unusual to talk about a deity performing miracles, but there is no account of Horus walking on the water. And when we talk about the resurrection, there is no account of him raising Osiris from the dead. Osiris was resurrected, if anything, by Isis with a potion, just enough time to get her impregnated. Then Osiris stayed in the underworld and became the god of the dead. And Horus, by the way, wasn't even alive yet uh, when Isis got impregnated. So that's kind of like a false uh, accusation there. And so we can begin to look at these and as we focus on the sources rather than just people saying this happened, that there were these uh, similarities, there are going to be similarities. We're going to see that. But it seems to me that they fit more and more into it. When we talk about the pagan deity, deity uh, Mitra, 
Mitra, the meaning is Mitra is light and power behind the sun. Now, Mithras, the god, or originated from the east in the Persian area, modern-day Iran, where it was first worshipped when the soldiers of the Roman Empire came back from a battle they had brought this deity with them. Now, we must note that Mithra was not a person. Mithra was never believed to have been a real historical person. Now, they say he was born a virgin. Well, Mitra, we know he was born from a rock, right? He had a cap on his head, and he was born from a rock. No ancient sources give such a birth uh, for Mitra. Mitra. Uh, Mitra has always been described as born from a solid rock. Um, They say that he got visited by magis. Well, we don't have no... Uh, sources we do have a depiction on Storn of these torch bearers, two guys that were on his right or left left side usually, but these were torch bearers. They weren't they were not magis or some types of kings. We also hear hear that uh, he was born on the twenty fifth. Now, no date is given on December twenty fifth that represent this twenty fifth day. It actually. When you hear about all the deities that were out there, um, they always refer to December, the end of the year, when the sun began to uh, shine once again and the equator matched up to where the sun now began to burst even more fuller than usual. And it was referring, uh, when they had these festivals, it was referring to the unconquered sun. It's understood to refer to the sun, that every 12 months the sun would begin to shine even brighter. Now, Mithra, they said that he had 12 disciples. Uh, We don't see this. We do see the zodiac signs of these 12 zodiac signs that are around him. But this is post-Christian era. This is 2nd, 3rd, 4th century A.D. that we begin to see these things. Did he do miracles? The only miracles we know that Mithra uh, did uh, was slaying the bull, right? And that was up in the heavens. And and as far as the resurrection for Mithra, Mithra never died. So how could there be a resurrection when we're talking about Mithra and the resurrection? Uh, Mithra was not born a virgin. We, We talked about that. And even when we talk about the sun god, the Roman Empire, they celebrated this on the 25th, and it was the day of the invincible sun. Sola Invictus was the word in Latin, uh, or should I say in Greek, followers of other deities joined in this festival on the December 25th. So it's not uncommon to hear people celebrating December 25th, but you know, Jesus was not officially celebrated by the church on December 25th. This was done later on. The Reformation, the Puritans pulled away from this notion of celebrating Jesus' birth. And so we can see this taking place that not really anything matches up. And even when we talk about Dionysus, 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 Diane Isis, sorry about that, was born from a virgin. Well, we don't see that. We see that uh, he was the son of Zeus, 
and that we do hear stories that claim that Zeus impregnated Semele and Semele was then killed by his wife because of jealousy. And with the results, Zeus took the, the still alive fetus of Dionysus and sewed him into his thigh and he grew him until he was ready to be born. And so we can go on and on and talking about how there are no real similarities when we actually look at the references of what took place. Uh, Dionysus, Dionysus was killed, but it was by crucifixion. Well, we don't have a story like that. There, there's nothing to give that account that he died from a resurrection. And so when we look at these pagans, we really got to look at the references and see if they make sense as we read them, because you're going to hear a lot of talk. But nothing matches up to what they're saying. As a matter of fact, we must remember that Jesus was a real historical person that walked this earth. And we'll see you next week. Join us each week as we talk about apologetics. This is Joe with 1530 Apologetics. That's a take. And this has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. You can learn more about your host, Joe Gaona, how to support and get involved with 1530 Apologetics by visiting throughoutallagesministries.com. That's throughoutallagesministries.com. 1530 Apologetics is vigorously setting the pace to give easy answers to hard questions in the culture we live in. So be sure to join Joe at this same time next week for more biblical principles to help you intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, the reality we live in, and history. This has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K-Praise.